One of the greatest obstacles to crafting health and wellness is identifying and controlling inflammation. It's at the core of all complex and chronic diseases and is the driving mechanism that underlies the most common symptoms that people like you struggle to overcome. Join us as we explore cutting-edge science and research to give you the information and tools you need to create the quality of life you want and deserve. And now, here is the host of Inflammation Nation, Dr. Stephen Noseworthy. Let's launch into it. Um, And like I said, we're already recording. And what I want to do is just give some context to the people that are listening. Like, why why am I talking to this guy? Um, And so most of the people that listen to the podcast, I I think they know that my wife and I, Kathy, we travel a lot in our RV. We spend half the year here in the States bouncing around, seeing our kids and our grandkids. And we spend half the year-ish somewhere around there back in Canada with my family. And um, when we're here in Texas, which we've been here since November, uh, there's a gym that I work out at that I have grown to love over the last couple of years. And I I met Adam. It was one of those situations where uh, and and you know what this is like in gym culture, right? Like if you're if you're a guy who's relatively fit, you kind of know what you're doing. You know, your radar is always going on to spot other people, guys or girls that kind of know what they're doing, right? And it's mm-hmm. not just about their physique um, because clearly you can see someone who's a beginner, someone who's maybe in the gym because their main goal is weight loss. And you can see the people who have some degree of fitness and muscularity or whatever the case might be. And and you kind of hone in on them, and you tend to watch what they do, right? And mm-hmm. you know, for those of you guys, people listening, that's what happened with with me seeing Adam, um, because I don't think you were there last year when I was here training. Did you join? Yeah. You jo- okay? So you joined sometime yeah. when we were gone away, and so you know, and and I hope you take this as as a non creepy thing and and as more of a more of a compliment. But I kind of, I zeroed in on Adam and I kept saying to myself, now this guy, and I keep saying in my head, I say kid because you're half my age. Um, but I say, this kid knows what he's doing. And um, on one day, I just decided to go strike up a conversation, introduce myself, and and we've been chatting uh, and talking about a whole bunch of things ever since. And so for those of you who are listening, who don't know Adam from Adam, so to speak, um, this dude's the real deal. Like he's, he's got a great educational background. He's got professional background. Um, so I know that I said we weren't going to go into your background, but why don't you just take a couple of minutes to kind of sketch out your background and, and maybe why somebody listening should actually stay tuned in. (laughs) <laughs> all right that, that last if, if i haven't be, lost them already <laughs> of course that last part might be the biggest challenge but I'll, I'll do my best well first of all uh definitely a big compliment uh no you know you saying that you noticed that you felt that i was i was i had an idea of what i was doing so i absolutely take that as a compliment and you're right it's something that you can't help uh but notice even if you're not trying you know my yes. dad my dad is a, a retired contractor and he does the same thing whenever he enters any sort of building. He's like, that's off. That looks great. This is in, you just can't help it. Right. So yep. It's a similar thing when you're in the gym, you just, are, you, you just, you just see it even if you're yep. trying to focus on your own thing. So yep. I really appreciate that. Definitely take that as a compliment. Um, on, on the background, I'll be as, as concise as I can, but essentially, um, you know, my, my whole life was, it was never really centered around my own fitness. However, it was centered around fitness in some regard. Um, mm-hmm. My parents uh, took a lot of um, time to care for themselves, to work on their health, to work out regularly. Uh, and I you know, always say that I kind of grew up in the nursery at the, uh, the gym that my parents went to. I went with my mm-hmm. mom in the morning, she would drop us off and she'd be like, you know, you're just going to have to deal with the time that you have in here until I'm done. Yeah, uh, and then my my dad always went in the evening, and it was a very regular thing for my parents to go to the gym, just as regular as it was for for them to brush their teeth, frankly. And so um, I never was too into it myself growing up, though I was exposed to it often. I was more into playing sports, specifically playing baseball, and I got into the baseball over over the years. You know, did the whole rec league when I was little, then competitive after that, then went to high school, then went to college. Well, long story short, the college career was was cut short, and I had spent so much of my life pouring really every ounce of mental and physical energy I could into uh, that endeavor as well as my identity. And so when that ended, I was, um, I was in a, in a deep, dark place, frankly, and I needed some sort of outlet. And my dad, 
uh, who used to compete uh, in bodybuilding was just trying to get me out of the house so I didn't mm. uh, dwell in my sorrows. <laughs> and so he took me to the gym and was like, hey, let's let's work out together. And um, as I did that more consistently, since I was pretty green, even though I did some resistance training in, in college for baseball, I noticed some some changes over time. And really, I from there just fell in love with it. It was one of the the few things outside of baseball where I noticed a direct effect. If I put in this work, yeah. this is going to be the result. And it felt really good to to see and feel that 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 tangible effect. And so I kind of started pursuing it uh, more. And at that time, it was definitely more of a distraction to keep me from the identity crisis that I was in. Who am I? What do I do? Um, and I also just really never felt uh, a calling or a connection to any sort of uh, job. And so I was always wanting to play baseball. My plan was even if I didn't make it to the big leagues, I would live in a van in the minor leagues, get paid pennies and and be a kid my whole life and play baseball. Um, but when that wasn't the case, I had to figure out what to do. And I didn't yeah. know what I wanted to do. And I didn't have any interest in trying to figure that out. But in pursuing my interest in fitness, I kind of was observing the the trainers at the gym and, and thought to myself, you know, that seems like a fun job. They have schedules where they can, you know, schedule their clients. Uh, ideally, when it was best for them, you have to work with the client too. But I thought, you know, that would be a great thing to do in college. It's flexible. You get paid pretty well, better than working at McDonald's or, or whatnot. And so I decided to pursue that at 19 and got certified. And long story short, I've been training ever since. A lot has mm. changed and evolved over the years, but that's essentially how I got started. And so I trained in person um, with those clients for about uh, three years there. And then a combination, you know, a hybrid training of in-person and online for another few years. And then for the last um, three, four years or so, I've been strictly uh, online. Yeah. And, and I want to make sure that we get to that, the whole trend of online training just to make sure that people understand that this is a service that's available to them if they're not comfortable going into a gym environment. Um, you know, and, and I would imagine that some of the clients that you train just train at home mm-hmm. for, you yeah. know, for, for any number of different reasons, but you know, it's, I, I appreciate you telling your story. My upbringing was the, the exact opposite. My family had no interest in health and fitness. Mm. And so go ahead. So I was, I was going to say, I noticed that that, they, there seem to be two very extremes when it when I meet people who are interested in pursuing their fitness. Either one, they're terrified of mm. what they see in their parents, in their family, in their medical history, um, or it's the exact opposite where um, everybody is is super healthy and they've realized the benefits of that their whole life and they can't imagine doing something yeah. different. So uh, it just seems that you and I were just kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum. There. Yeah, and and although the sports connection was still there because I ended up. Um, in, and I shared with you when we were chatting in the gym a couple of weeks ago that you know, I played volleyball, competitive volleyball at the at the collegiate and then and then the the national level, and um, I ended up with a rotator cuff problem that took me out of sports, um, and and so I ended up. It, it actually wasn't until my last year in university um, that my friends and I started lifting weights because back then, and we're we're talking like the eighties. Lifting weights was not, it, it just wasn't as commonplace it is, as it is today. It was, it was basically just the, you know, muscle heads or, um, we, in the university that I went to, we had a very small gym in the basement where the weights were. And, uh, it was probably, it was probably maybe a third, if not a quarter of the size of the gym where you and I work out at victory wow. fit. And there was, it was divided into two halves and, and it was divided by kind of a mesh wire fence. And one side was, uh, a couple of, uh, cable machines, you know, lat pull downs and, and this kind of stuff, a, a machine bench press. There was a pull-up bar, a couple of light dumbbells. And on the other side of the, we called it the cage on the other side of the cage was the free weights. And that's where the big boys worked out. And that was the, that was the weightlifting club. And you had to apply to get into the weightlifting club. You couldn't just walk in and start doing free weights. And the interesting thing was that the two, the, the two guys who were the head of the weightlifting club, I remember this so distinctly. One guy was missing two fingers on it. I think it was his left hand and he was an ex con and it was really well known. And he looked, I'm telling you, he looked like a rough character. And so you can imagine what it was like for my friends and I 
to approach these guys to say, Hey, we want to come over and start lifting weights in the weightlifting yeah. club. And we had to sit down and talk to them about, you know, why we wanted to do that. And it was just kind of like, almost like an initiation ritual, huh, that is but so fascinating. it is fascinating. And so, and it is funny cause I haven't thought about that story in literally decades, to be honest, mm-hmm. like funny even the detail of the guy with, you know, missing the fingers on one hand, yeah. but you know, like I said, I grew up in an environment where health and wellness just wasn't a thing. And, you know, even, even throughout the last 30, 40 years, you know, every once in a while, I, you know, I'd, I'd be so excited because my mom or dad would say, Hey, we joined a gym and we're, you know, we go to the Y and we, we walk and we do some resistance training. I was so happy, but that only lasted for about a summer. You know, and so it just wasn't there, but, you know, so somewhere along the way, it was, for me, it was a transition from sport. Um, and when I couldn't really play sports anymore, like you, it was like, what else am I going to do? Because I'm so used to being physical and active now, mm-hmm. and, and maybe we should probably stop talking about ourselves and just talk about the experience of other people, because you and I both work with, um, and obviously in different domains and for different reasons, we do work with a lot of people who either haven't exercised for a very long time or who simply don't have that habit. And they might have a whole bunch of misconceptions. They have preconceived notions about what it takes, what the results are going to be, what the culture in a gym is like. And every gym is different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of interested to get your take on how you as a fitness professional talk to somebody and let's just assume for the moment that they don't have any say metabolic reasons why they shouldn't just go into the gym and start working out. It's really more of they're coming from the perspective of I've never done this before. And it's a little bit intimidating. How, how do you as a fitness professional coach them through that and, and get them introduced in a way that's really not scary to them and, Mm -hmm. and just kind of doesn't backfire to the point where they go running and say, well, I'm never doing that again. Totally. Yeah. So, there can be different layers to interacting with somebody like this. The first thing I would say is this is something that I would come across um, much more often when I was training in person. Now training online, I definitely work with more people who have some experience resistance training, usually a fair amount, but they're just not seeing the results that they feel that they should be. Um, But when I was training in person, that was definitely not the case. So if anybody listening is in that position where um, maybe you don't have that habit built. Maybe it's foreign, it's scary, all of the above. I highly recommend going to someone that you know, like, and, and trust uh, either at the gym that you have a membership to or some other gym that you haven't gone to yet and you're going to join. Right. Um, so that's that's a very important thing that I want to mention. If you don't have that experience, having that in-person attention um, can bring a, a lot of value. Now, in terms of what you mentioned about kind of easing into that, Usually what I like to do is first and foremost, get a really good understanding of what's important to the individual. You know, what are their motivations as to why they're in this gym talking to me? Mm-hmm. Um, did they, did they have a scare with a family member? Did they have a scare themselves? Did they, um, see themselves in the mirror and just for one reason or another that morning, they just hated what they saw. Did they, um, go on a hike with a friend and, and, and were they lagging behind? And so I'm always trying to figure out what exactly is motivating them to come to the gym. So I can speak to that um, as I'm introducing them to different things. What I always want to do is try to attach a um, some sort of action or behavior to the benefit that they are trying to achieve. Yep. Here's the thing. I, I am hardly ever thrilled to go into that gym and train, right? I'm not like dragging my feet every day, but I'm not pumped out of my mind to go work out every single day. But the mo- even for someone like me, where it's my job, the more I remember and feel the benefits that I care about, the easier it is. So I always yeah. want to create that same situation for somebody else. So it could look at, you know, like a million different things, depending on what the individual wants. You know, let's say somebody for some reason or another um, feels like they have some sort of, uh, you know, movement issue. Maybe their, their shoulder mobility isn't good. I take them through some shoulder mobility exercise, have them feel that tangible benefit right then and there. Will that fix all their problems forever? No, of course not. But at least in that moment, they can attach a benefit to the exercise um, involved. Another thing I like to have them do is just slowly expose them to the resilience of their body and how strong mm-hmm. they actually are. Um, and this might look pause, like- pause, pause there for a second. That's such an interesting thought. 
right? Because I, I mean, there is, I, I, I would guess, I would venture to guess that you probably work with people who are very in tune with their bodies, with their capacities, and others that are just so disconnected from, and, and I'm not talking necessarily about being able to, to reproduce movement. Like, here's what a squat looks like. Can you do it? Okay, you can right. do that. But just kind of disconnected from this realm of what can my body do? And, and how do I know what my limits are? How do I, and maybe a related question is, how can I tell the difference between the discomfort of adaptation and the discomfort of, okay, something's wrong, I need to stop? Yes. And I'm sorry to interrupt, but the way you said nope. that just really kind of struck me. So, so let's kind of drive some detail on that, that particular point. Yeah. So one of my favorite things is exactly what you just talked about there is kind of helping people understand the difference between maybe a physical pain or the discomfort of their muscles simply working or yeah. um, facing some sort of inverse adversity in grinding out the last couple of reps. And um, it really all starts, in my opinion, with the mindset and the understanding of what our bodies uh, can do. We are extremely resilient and our bodies are, they were created in such an incredible way to get better at whatever they're being asked to do. Right. Um, and so we can think of like our central nervous system um, kind of like a, uh, a governor on a golf cart. You know, when you get on the golf cart and it's only set to go a certain miles, you know, amount of miles per hour and it drives you nuts because it feels like it's, you know, you're taking eternity to get to the next hole. That's at least what I feel like. Yeah. Um, I always want to go faster. It's kind of <laughs> like that, right? The, the, except with the golf cart, if it was more like the, the central nervous system of your body, the faster you would go, the more it would kind of let off and say, oh, okay, it's, it's safe to go this fast. Well, somewhat similar with our um, neurological adaptations with resistance training. You know, there's um, I don't I don't know the, the 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 year or study off the top of my head, but I've seen in research that the elite power lifter can access about ninety six or so percent of their yeah. overall strength, which is yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. The everyday person might might be lucky to you know access fifty to sixty yeah. percent. And so, one of my favorite things to do is to help people realize this untapped potential that they didn't even know existed in the first place. Um, and that really helps them shape their mindset. So that might look like, um, you know, getting them on a Smith machine, something that I used to honestly talk a lot of smack about, but have changed my mind a ton on over the years. That is, um, it's, they feel safe in, they feel comfortable in, they know that there is a safe way to uh, rack the weight if they can't move it anymore. Um, they have me there to spot them. So it allows them to get into that position where they don't feel as vulnerable. And then from there, we just stack the weight on, see how they feel. And sometimes they get lost in conversation and we just keep talking and they hardly notice what's happening. And then midway through, I say, hey, you know, Susie or whomever, you're, you're lifting 150 pounds. You know, that's almost as much as you weigh. And mm. their minds explode. Yeah. Like, what? And now it's almost as if this, this new version of themselves that they never thought was accessible is they're on the brink of that. Mm. And then they begin to see all the ways in which they can change things to become that person that they've always wanted to become. So it's just helping them realize that, hey, you are absolutely capable of this. You just really haven't put yourself in a situation where you've had to demand your body to, to do so. Yeah. I don't know if that answered that question. No, no absolutely. It does. But it, you know, it, it, and, and maybe, maybe I can repeat back to you some of the things that you said and, and just put it into slightly different words because the idea of untapped potential to me lives in two different spaces. One is the adaptation to the exercise that happens with consistency over time. And whether that adaptation is getting stronger, improving your muscular endurance, or if you're doing cardio, your VO2 max goes up or something like that. And, and I'm using technical terms because I've just finished on, on you know, the podcast, a whole series talking about adaptations to exercise. And so hopefully people listening to us have some familiarity with that. But, but this untapped potential, like there's the low-hanging fruit. And this goes back to the neuromuscular adaptation you were talking about, say, with elite lifters versus beginners, um, is that the low-hanging fruit with these adaptations, the things that are immediately available that can create that wow effect, directly relate to when you start exercising, the very first thing that changes is your brain learns how to access what's already there more efficiently. Right. And that's what you were saying about a beginner might, you know, they they go to contract a muscle to lift a weight. Doesn't matter what the movement is, 
And their brain can only access a certain amount of the potential. But the more you train it in the first three weeks, as you know, the improvements is not really because you're seeing tissue changes as much as your brain is connecting to your body more effectively. Right. Right. And an easy short, short term way to experience this is simply, you know, let's say you wanted to do a, I don't know, a Smith machine bench press since we were talking about the Smith machine sure. for eight reps and you want to try hundred pounds, throw 150 pounds on there and do two reps take the 50 pounds off. That's a great kind of like immediate way to experience that. The hundred pounds is going to feel so much so lighter, yeah. so much lighter. Um, that's kind of a, a tiny glimpse into what is happening when we have those neurological adaptations. And that's another reason I love introducing that to people right out the gate, because the other adaptations take time. That is that adaptation is one of the, the fastest that yeah. comes in. So to be able to experience that right out the gate and have some immediate wins and understand that you are now a quite literally a different person um, yeah. as you're progressing, that is an amazing way to get people to attach value um, and meaning and reward to something that used to be, uh, frankly, very scary and intimidating. Yeah. Do you ever have conversations with with your clients, especially new ones, about gym culture and and about... Like I, I've talked to people and, you know, I, I didn't work out in a, in a gym setting for, I, I'm going to say close to 20 years because when we started having kids, um, I bought stuff at, on Craigslist and I, you know, made my own home gym and then I did some CrossFit certification. And so, and I did it more for my own purposes, not to go out and train people. Um, and so I did like CrossFit things in my gym space. And I loved working out at home. I think there's tremendous advantage to that. But I think I did lose something about not being in a gym setting. Like, you know, it's it's inspiring to me to be in there working out, watching you and some of the other guys that are that are at the gym going like, oh, these guys are like so far ahead of me. And then, you know, it, 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 it makes me put that extra 10% in that I probably wouldn't do if I was just on my own. But because gym culture is so unique and there are different let's say avatars of gym culture, right? Yes. Um, do you have conversations with people about, listen, when you, if you go to the gym, let's assume someone's going to the gym, nobody else is really paying attention to you because that's the one thing I hear a lot. Like I, I so self-conscious, I feel like everyone's looking at me and I'm going to do something wrong. And I'm going to make a, make myself look like an idiot. Do you have those kind of conversations and, and how do you coach people through that mindset shift? Yeah, absolutely. We definitely have those conversations. Um, not as much as I used to with people who have never worked out before, but even I think this is what the person that might be listening that hasn't exercised regularly in a gym needs to hear. Even individuals who are regularly going to the gym and have been for years still experience this. Mm. It's not necessarily something that you are ever going to get over. You just get more comfortable with the discomfort. And that just speaks volumes into the whole concept of resistance training, in my opinion. But um, we absolutely have these conversations. And most of the time, it's just understanding that what we are experiencing 90% of the time, that's just a number I made up, but most of the time <laughs> is in our own head. It is in yeah. our own head. I mean, again, I'm, I'm a professional. I do this for a living. I love working out. And half the time I'm squatting, I'm just trying to make sure that fart doesn't come out. <laughs> and I'm just trying to make sure if it does, nobody hears me. <laughs> and just the other day in the gym, when I was doing my box jumps, I ate it and I fell and I hit my shin. It happens all the time. Oh, I, I hate that. Box. It yeah. happens. It happens. It happens. But over time, you just learn to laugh it off and move on and understand that everybody else in the gym is going through the exact same thing that you are. They're yeah. thinking about their own stuff. They're thinking about their own insecurities, their own form and technique, what other people may or may not be thinking they probably don't even know that you're there, to be mm. honest with you. They're more concerned, honestly, nowadays, with scrolling on Instagram and checking the you know, latest notification than sure. they are you know, wor worrying about what you're doing on the treadmill or yeah. you know, whether or not you just missed the last step on the Stairmaster and slipped a little bit. Nobody yeah. probably even noticed. Um, and if they do, we all just go, yeah, been there, happened to me. Been there, done that. Been yeah. there, done that. It's probably going to happen to me tomorrow. It happens all yeah. the time. So we absolutely have those conversations and it just comes down to accepting. I think radical acceptance is the first piece of that. Accepting that, hey, this is how you're going to feel and that's okay. We don't need to get rid of that feeling. We just need to be more comfortable with the fact that it's there. It's like, okay. Yeah. I recognize this feeling is there. I recognize yeah. that it's not going to go away. It is what it is. you know. And 
there, you know, we could talk about gym culture itself for, for hours and hours and hours. But um, one of the biggest mix- misconceptions that I love seeing people work through is the misconception that the 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 biggest, most intimidating uh, guys, the strongest girls, the the grungiest gyms are um, are the the least friendly. And more often than not, they're the most friendly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I love about the gym, and I'll say this about all gyms too, is that it is one of the few places where everybody can recognize that everybody else in there is trying to better themselves. Yeah. We're all going through. Uh, it's 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 that. It's a little bit of a spin on that that saying of misery loves company. You know, we're not all in there maybe miserable all the time, but we all have a common goal, and that's to improve ourselves. And we're all going through some level of discomfort and unfamiliarity and whatever it might be to make that happen. And so there's more of a camaraderie than anything um, in the gym. Does that mean that there 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 aren't people out there who you know act like snobs or are rude or hog up the equipment? Yep. Of course not. There we're we're all human beings. Yeah, uh, that's what happens. You know. But more often than not, the large majority of the people in there are there to focus on themselves, um, to see themselves succeed, and usually want to help and encourage other people as well. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because my experience has been that, well, let me say it this way. You can see somebody in the gym. Let's say someone who has a great physique, looks like they know what they're doing. You don't know what it took to get them there. You don't know what obstacles they had to overcome. And and so, you know, the really slender, muscular guy or a girl, you know, could have been, they could be at the end of a five-year journey where they lost 150 pounds right. or, or they may have had to overcome obstacles with mental health or physical injury or whatever the case might be. And, and I guess what I'm saying is that everyone has their story and my experience has been if you can break that initial barrier of someone's coming up to talk to me in the gym, that's kind of weird. Once you can get past that initial introduction, everyone's have, has a story and everyone is very encouraging. There are just some people who will take it upon themselves to go encourage someone proactively. Right. And here's, I'll I'll give you an example. Um, Last year we were visiting one of my sons in Florida and we were there for a couple months. We were, working out at, at one of the local gyms and it was in an area where the demographics, like it's mostly older people. So my wife and I were, you know, in our fifties, uh, some of the younger people that were there. And there was this one lady who we saw her working with one of the personal trainers. And I, I was walking by him at one moment and she was, you know, doing shoulder presses with like five pound dumbbells and she was struggling. And he kept, he was to his credit, he was like, listen, if you just stick with it, if you just keep coming back and keep doing these simple things, I promise you things will get better. Well, we left, came back six months later, same lady was there. My wife struck up a conversation with her because she wanted to encourage her because it was so good to see her still there. And she told a story, which honestly, it brought tears to my wife's eyes at the time. She said that she was so happy that she stuck with it because now she can bring her own groceries into the house without asking mm-hmm. for help. Mm-hmm. Right. And so my wife took it upon herself and she obviously didn't know this woman's story. She didn't know what she was struggling with, but you know how terrible it is to get yourself to the point where it, maybe you can go to the grocery store, but you need someone to bring the bags back into your house. Right. And so I guess the message is, is that, you know, gym culture aside and whatever your preconceptions are, if you're listening to the podcast is that everyone in there has had a struggle to overcome. And like you said, there's always going to be someone who's just a jerk, but the vast majority of people, if you get into a conversation with them, you're of a like mind and you're just there trying to get better. Absolutely. And the best, I think one of the best ways to understand that too, is to strike up that conversation. You know, most people are feeling the same way you are. And they don't really know how encouraging the gym can be unless they experience that. And sometimes you need to be that change and just go yeah. up and say, it, it feels so good too. Just say, hey, I noticed you've been working really hard. You look like you're getting a lot better at that. Just wanted to say, good work. Next thing you know, you get into conversation. Yeah. You realize they've been working at it for so long. They're lifting you up and it just, it spreads like wildfire. It does. Um, and one thing I wanted to add before we move on, if we do, is um, going back to the original question about slowly easing somebody in to the gym, a, a, a client, a story just came to mind. Um, I was working with this, uh, 
this lady a, a long time ago and she um had experience working uh, out but she was working out from home and she had some major uh fear of of the gym and we were kind of at this crossroads where you know she she only had a couple of of light dumbbells and you're able to do a decent amount with that but there is going to be a point where having more resistance and more load is going to get you better results especially when it comes to building muscle and, and building strength and so we are we had to have this conversation where it's like all right hey we're kind of at a, a fork in the road here either we continue with the way things are and just continue with the light dumbbells and make the best modifications that we can or we explore going to the gym or we could also stay at home but we got to we got to up the 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 equipment right yeah. and that can be super costly you know so she was like well i don't I really want these results. I'm just not sure what to do. I'm so afraid of the gym. So it's like, here's, so I was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. How about we stay with what you have? But this week, I'm going to schedule workouts in and I just want you to drive to the gym. So for the first couple of weeks, she literally just drove, got into the parking lot, left. Wow. Was there. And I said, hey, when you feel comfortable, I just want you to go into the doors. And so over time, you know, she, she went, parked, left, started to go into the doors. And then over time, it was, hey, I just want you to do your first exercise. And then once she did like her first exercise within a couple of days, she was like, I feel so much better. I was so in my head. And next thing you know, she felt so confident. She yeah. was leg pressing like 500 pounds or something like that. Yep. And this is someone who months ago never thought she was even capable of doing something remotely close to that. Yeah. Uh, and so sometimes that just that light exposure uh, and the grace and the freedom to be able to tell yourself, hey, I'm just going to go to the gym. And if I don't feel like going in, um, I'm going to turn around and do my workout at home doesn't mean that if you have goals you're just never working out but yep. you're, you're slowly exposing yourself to that and making yourself more comfortable um with the environment and, and with the space and so um if that i hope that's an encouragement to somebody listening who maybe is super afraid of the gym just drive just drive to the gym and park there and sit there and say do i want to go maybe you know i gotta go to the bathroom maybe you know can i use your bathroom yeah, well yeah. and you know what i what i love about this from a psychological standpoint is that you know, they're taking one step, but there's a very clear next step. Absolutely. Right. And, and, and the easier, the more you do that first step, eventually the easier and the less scary that second step becomes. And you just kind of build incrementally. And I, you know, I think we can take that same concept because you and I, you know, we met to, just to talk about what we wanted to talk about today. And one of the things came up and I, I actually want to have this conversation a little bit later in this session. But I'll just say this and then we can move on because I have some other questions I want to ask you. Is that, you know, sometimes I, I work with a lot of people who are just really unhealthy, right? And so they have very low exercise tolerance. They can't do much. Mm -hmm. Maybe they can walk her. In fact, I had a conversation with a lady in, in Canada just the other day. And she's like, you know, a 10 minute leisurely walk with my kids is about as much as I can handle. And I'm like, okay, well, guess what your exercise program is, right? If that's your limit, we we have to do that and keep pushing the limit. And so sometimes I will tell people, again, doesn't matter the exercise or the muscle group or the movement, you know, I want you to do exercise X with a weight that you think is ridiculously low, do it for five reps, pause for a minute, do it again, and then you're done. Right. And, and then, so you kind of bite off these little tiny chewable digestible pieces and then you start to build that confidence and then they start to realize okay well i can do something mm -hmm. and something is certainly better than nothing it might not be optimal mm -hmm. and it might not look like what ultimately is going to bring all these different changes and adaptations that you're looking for to meet whatever goals that you have but we have to get your brain started and and really, exactly. you know, when you think about exercising and and someone starting from ground zero, so to speak, it it starts up here, like it oh, starts in the mindset, it starts in the attitude. So let's let's use that to pivot and transition into goal setting, um, and and because there's no single type of person that you or I work with, we might have to you know maybe pick a couple of different avatars to kind of walk through this process. How how do you as an expert online fitness trainer, how do you go about setting goals? And do you, and I, I know the answer, but I want to ask it this way. Do you impose your goals? Like this is what you must do. Or do you have kind of like a process where you discover what's important to them? And then maybe at some point later, you bring in things that you know are important that they might not be keyed into yet. Yep. Absolutely. It's definitely more of, of the latter where, 
I am kind of sitting back and I'm listening. I'm saying, okay, what, you know, I'm listening to what is important for this individual. What do they truly care about? What do they want to um, be able to do? What do they want yeah. to see? So it's, it can be entirely different. Some people can say, I, I couldn't care less what I look like. I just want to be able to go on that walk with my kids. Some yeah. people are in a different situation, you know, where um, maybe they're at, you know, 18% body fat and they just cannot figure out why they can't get to 15. And they're, yeah. it doesn't matter what it is. We have to say, okay, what are we, what are we doing all of this for? So what I like to do before we even figure out what the goal is, um, is really figure out the starting point. Where are we, where are we starting from? What are we currently capable of doing now? What are we not capable of doing now? And then I jump to the end and that's where we talk about the goal. So mm. we look at our, our, um, horizon goal is sometimes what I like to call it. Or usually I'll call this, uh, so and so, uh, 2.0. So this would be, you know, uh, Steve 2.0, right? Yep. The new and improved version of yourself. Tell me yep. all the things that are important to you with that. What do you look like? What do you feel like? What are you able to do? How is your life different? How are your relationships different? And then we, we put all of it down and then we kind of narrow it down from there. So, okay, what are, like if if you were to be in the best shape of your entire life, you were to feel better than you've ever felt before. What are what are three things, two things, however many things that would need to happen for you to be able to say that? So we we kind of narrow that down a little bit and figure out what those are. Yeah. Then from there, what I'll do with people is is reverse engineer the entire process. And what I mean by that is I just try to um, break it down as much as I possibly can until it is turned into um, daily or weekly actions and behaviors that are easily measurable. Okay. So for example, let's say somebody wants to, um, you know, go from 35% body fat to 25% body fat. Mm -hmm. Okay. I can talk about, um, the, the, the calorie intake and the, the, the way you need to push yourself in your workouts, all the, the muscle that we need to build the ratio of muscle to fat, all that stuff. But that is meaningless, right? The individual. And even for me, when I'm pursuing these goals, I need to know what am I trying to execute? on a daily basis, right? Maybe it's X amount of steps for my activity. Maybe it's one intention or goal with my workout that's scheduled. And then maybe it's, I need a certain amount of grams of protein without going over these calories, right? And we continue breaking it down until it's extremely clear. So that's a little bit more about the process, but the goal setting itself is about figuring out what is most important to you um, and what truly matters. What makes you cry? What makes you laugh? What makes you smile? What makes you sing? That's a asking those questions is a very good way to kind of dig deep and figure out what truly resonates with you. Because all too often, at least in my opinion, we create goals for the sake of creating goals, and we don't actually follow through on them because they didn't really matter that much to us. Mm. And all we are trying to do is make ourselves feel worthy and productive by just checking something off of a list, mm. which in and of itself isn't terrible, but Hey, if you're going to spend all this time changing your lifestyle, why not have it be something that that changes everything for you? Yeah. Uh, and so we really have to answer those those deep questions. And this causes a lot of people to uh, to feel like in these conversations with me that they're in a therapy session. You know, a lot of oh. responses that I'll get are like, "Oh, wow, I've never thought about these deep questions before. Yeah. I've never thought about it that way. I've never, you know, sometimes there are tears. I'm never trying to make the person cry, but yeah. I'm asking very probing questions to dig deep and really figure out, hey. Yeah, that's great that you want to lose 10 pounds, but why? Why? Why does that matter? Why, why, tell me why that's important to you. And so we have to identify with those, those deep things that, um, that stir something up within us to be able to set realistic goals that actually matter. And therefore, we have an easier time executing um, them as well. I know that was a little bit more broad in general, but uh, that's no, no, I think that was spot on. You know, there's, um, I'll see if I can find it, put a link in the episode description, but there's a, it it could be a Hallmark commercial. I, I don't remember exactly, but I usually repost it every Christmas time as it's a, it's a Christmas thing. And basically it's a, it's a commercial that shows this elderly man. Um, you know, he kind of gets dressed up in his, not his snowsuit, but you know, heavy jacket. He walks outside, he goes into his garage or barn and he starts picking up a kettlebell. And it's very, have you seen this? Oh yeah. I love it so much. I cry every time I see every it time. Every, every time. time. And, and it's like, for those of you listening, so he, he picks up this kettlebell and it's just a struggle and you see him doing it over and over again. And then it's easier and then it's easier. And then he's doing kettlebell swings and the ultimate payoff. It, the reason why he's doing that is he ends up going to a family Christmas party and his granddaughter runs to him and he picks her up. 
<laughs> it's making me tear up. Yeah, of course. How could it not? <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I just, I love the fact that you take the time to connect with people on this and, and to help them connect with it. Because some people don't know, like, I just, it, it's important to get healthy. Well, why? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So to to share with you how I think about this, because I have to go through like not even though I do coach people on on exercise, fitness, and diet and all this kind of stuff, you know the people that I work with are I, I think probably markedly different than the people that you work with. And we so we have two different domains that we live in, and they kind of bleed over a little bit. But we have some very distinct things that we do that the other doesn't. Um, and so I I every new client that I take on in my personal like my one on one coaching programs we go through this, like, why, why do you want me to help you? And some people, they don't know. They just like, I'm tired. I'm like, I'm just exhausted all the time. And I'll, I'll tell you a, a story about someone I worked with probably about 10, 15 years ago. She was probably 34 years old. She was married. Um, she had, I think at, at the time, like an eight or a 10 year old daughter. And she was a teacher and she was so exhausted and she hurt all the time. And we, you know, we, we sit down, we go through this process of, you know, doing their medical history and talking about what their symptoms are and how those systems behave and what makes them worse and what makes them better. And you, know, she basically described chronic fatigue and constant pain, which, you know, a lot of people would say, well, that's just like fibromyalgia or something like that. Right. And so I, you know, I kept pushing on, okay, so I know you don't want to be tired anymore, but why is that important? You don't want to hurt anymore. Why is that important? And ultimately we got to the point where she broke down in tears because she's like, I don't feel like I'm fulfilling my purpose as a mother, mm. as a wife, and as, as a worker, as an employee, I'm not giving my students the best that I can give them. I like, I lie in bed on the weekends. My daughter's pulling on me going, mommy, will you come play with me? And I'm just too tired. And that was her why. Right. And, and so what I find interesting about this conversation is that even though you and I do different things, we do similar things in some areas, but different things, the process is the same. The principles are the same. And so for anyone out there listening who was thinking, yeah, I should probably exercise, like, you know, maybe the first thing you need to settle down before you go pick up a weight or get on a treadmill is figure out why this is important to you. Because if you can keep that carrot in front of you all the time, it will take you beyond those moments, like you said earlier. Like, I don't always feel like going to the gym, yep. but I have a reason why I'm doing it. Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah. It was, so, it, you know, it, and at times it can, you know, I think of my situation where I was, uh, that carrot for me was a distraction, right? At that time, it wasn't, it was a distraction. It was finding new identity and being the big and strong guy. Which, uh, as a as a as a believer, putting my identity in something worldly um, was unhealthy and not ideal. But it was still it was still the carrot. Um, the 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 better situation is to have you know something that is 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 good and worthy um, and fulfilling as that carrot, especially right away. Because I think what happens is sometimes we expect ourselves to not have that carrot and then just go regularly and all of a sudden build a habit. There is no habit that exists. Yeah. We need that carrot. We need that carrot right out the gate to get us there when we just don't want to and when it wouldn't be weird for us not to. And then eventually you might not need that carrot as much or you might need that carrot on certain days, but eventually you'll get to a point where you're just like, gosh, I, I didn't work out today and I just feel off. It feels yeah. weird. Kind of like going to bed without brushing your teeth. That's the ideal, right? But at first, you're nowhere close to even exercising regularly. So you have to kind of have that, that you have to peel that onion and get to that deep why to be able to have that thing that motivates you and moves you to do something that has been extremely intimidating and daunting and scary up to this point. Yeah. You, you use the word motivate. Um, you, you know who uh, Jocko Willink is? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think he's the one who said this. Uh, so I'll, I'll attribute to him anyways, and he could have gotten it from somewhere else. But, you know, discipline trumps motivation. Yes. And um, Dr. Mike Isratel, who's a PhD researcher, you know, ex-powerlifter bodybuilder, uh, runs an organization or a company called Renaissance Periodization, yep. has a pretty decent video 
that talks about the differences between motivation and discipline and how motivation comes and goes and 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 really ultimately what people need in the long run is obviously motivation has its purpose what they need is the discipline absolutely right and uh my wife right now is is doing a program called 75 hard do you, do you know about this oh absolutely. yeah of course yeah this is actually her second time doing it she did it a couple of years ago and uh hats off to her because i to be honest i don't know i could do it because it's okay. but it's but it's a, it's a it's a mental toughness challenge like a lot of people think well this is a weight loss challenge this is a, a an exercise challenge no i mean there's you know quite often people lose weight in exercise is part of it but he doesn't dictate what your exercise is but it's all about mental toughness toughness and it's all about discipline and and when i look at the things that she has to do every day to still be in the challenge so to speak to me some of them seem silly mm-hmm. you know Absolutely. but but it it doesn't matter what the thing is it matters that you do the thing even when you don't feel like doing the thing Correct. It's a it's a regular practice of adulting yourself, <laughs> of being the adult that isn't there anymore because you're no longer a child. The regular practice of saying, "I don't feel like this, yet I'm going to do it anyway." Yes. Um, and every single, like you alluded to, you know, you said it's not an inherent weight loss program. It's not an inherent nutritional program that's designed yeah. to get you to a certain goal. It is a it is a program, a structure that provides a way for you to create that that discipline that resilience and every single thing that we do starts with that because yeah. every single thing that we do isn't something that we did before and requires some level of of overcoming uh, in order to make it more of a habit whether it's something as small as making your bed in the morning or something as large as getting six six workouts in a week that are you know 75 minutes to to 90 minutes long no yeah. matter what it is, there is some level of adversity you have to overcome. And it starts with having the mental resilience to face that. Yeah. Um, and so that's the, the, the big value in there. Um, and I love that your wife is, is pursuing that and doing so well with it. Because like you said, there's some stuff in there where I'm like, Phew. <laughs> you know, if somebody challenged me and, and maybe I had some incentive, I could do it. But it's definitely not something that I want to do on, yeah. a, on a regular basis. And um, that's the most enjoyable part uh, for me in talking to people that have gone through that challenge. Um, not that I'm necessarily promoting it for, for health benefits, but the, the discipline that bleeds into, um, into every other aspect of people's lives, uh, as a result of that challenge is extremely, it's, it's unbelievable. And I think yeah. that you also see that in fitness in general, when you yeah. are able to work out regularly, see a benefit, um, push yourself past a point that is comfortable, you are able to so, like easily do that or i should say more easily do that in other areas of your life you know when you're sitting there and you're grinding out those last couple of reps of a certain exercise getting up to spray the weeds when you don't feel like it is nothing when yes. you are are grinding out that last uh you know 15 seconds of that sprint finishing those last couple of emails or getting that proposal done is nothing it yeah. bleeds into every single aspect of your life and um, yeah, like you said, every single thing starts with that mental discipline. Without that, it is very hard to create that lasting behavior change. It is. And, and you know, people who aren't used to doing difficult things, there's um, there's a friction. There's an, an, an inertia. Yes. There's this obstacle to getting started and creating momentum that is sometimes very difficult to break. Yep. Very I, difficult. One of the things that I, I, I want to encourage people with um, is, is, is thinking through this. You know, when, when people hear, honestly, especially guys like us who work, work out regularly, have a habit of this, talk about um, doing difficult things or, you know, being tough or facing adversity or do the thing anyway, I think there's a lot of eye roll, right? Because we've had a lot of, um, one, we've had a lot of negative media. Um, and a lot of shame come through that where it's like, you are a, a lazy POS, therefore you need to do the hard thing, mm -hmm. which is shame is, is my, in my opinion, never the way to go about it. Um, and the second thing too, though, I want people to think through is I think of the movie Wally. -E. Have you seen the movie Wally? -E? Mm -hmm. Long time ago. You know, yeah. Yeah. Oh, great movie. Makes me cry every time. But <laughs> the, the humans in this, in this movie are, um, if I remember correctly, something happened with earth. It's in It's no longer, uh, you know, ha inhabitable or it's inhabitable. Um, and they're living in this ship in space. 
and people are morbidly obese. They're, they are reclined in chairs all the time. Anything that they want is immediately delivered to them, and they're always watching something in front of a screen. And <laughs> wait, I remember, wait. I think you just described Netflix and DoorDash. <laughs> exactly right. And so I remember, you know, I remember watching that movie for the first time, and I was like, that's insane. Could you yeah. imagine living in a world like that? And as time has passed, I've come to realize that we have been living in that world for a very long time now. The mm-hmm. only difference is we're not constantly reclined in that chair. We might yeah. get up to go to the bathroom. We might do this, that, but, but we are always, almost always in a chair. Yep. Think, let's just think about the day, right? We get up from sleeping where we're laying down. We might um, you know, brush our teeth, get ready for the day, pack our lunch, whatever it is, eat breakfast, get the kids ready, whatnot. Then we go sit in a car and we commute to work where we go sit in the desk. And then we leave the desk where we go back into the car and if we don't go to the gym, we go back home where we eat dinner and we're sitting and then we put the kids down and then we go to the couch where we are sitting. All we're doing is sitting yep. and eating and we live in a world of abundance just like Wally. So I say this to um, to kind of encourage and remind everybody that we don't live, we don't have an environment that encourages us to do challenging things that are going to make us better. The default is sitting back and letting this environment of abundance and comfort overtake you, oh, completely overcome you. So you, even if you don't, aren't that rah rah motivational, you know, David Goggins type of person, you need to at least acknowledge the fact that you are living in an environment that is not going to help you be fitter, healthier, leaner, happier. You are living in one that is basically slowly deteriorating you by the second. And so you need to have some sort of open mind to face adversity and create that adversity uh, in your lives. I mean, heck, look at I'm going on a whole thing now, but look at Spartan races. Um, mm. Look at Tough Mudders. 30, 40, 50 years ago, if you were to tell somebody, hey, I'm going to go pay $500 <laughs> to do this day-long obstacle race where I'm going to get muddy, I'm going to get barbed wire uh, slicing into my skin, I'm going to get electrocuted, um, and it's going to be very physically exhausting. People would be like, you're out of your right mind. Why don't you just go live a day in our life, right? That's right. But now yeah. we are so comfortable that we are willing to pay. To, there, there's something in us that wants that adversity. Um, and so we have to embrace the fact that we are in a world that just doesn't encourage that. And so we have to fabricate that, um, ourselves in one way or another, if we truly want to uh, be better. Yeah. And I, I would say that if I could go back in time and talk to my grandparents, my great grandparents and explain to them that in the future and the time that we live in, people have to intent, they, we have to go to this thing called the gym to exercise to to stay strong and lean and and they were like like that doesn't make any sense because we are strong and lean and we don't have to do those things thanks for listening to inflammation nation if you enjoyed this episode make sure you subscribe to our podcast be the first to know when a new episode drops so you can stay on top of your game it also helps others like you find the answers they need You can use the links in the episode description to check out Dr. Noseworthy's self-learning programs for thyroid, detox, and gut health. Or you can submit a question for the podcast and even reach out to Dr. Noseworthy directly.